You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9.30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. If you have children kindergarten through first grade, they may go to children's church. Out the double doors to my left, your right. They are not going unaccompanied, by the way. They have someone going with them. And uh, so you, if you want to go, they can go to children's church. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. If you want to follow in the translation that I am reading from, you may turn to page 1042, 1042, 1042 in the Pew Bibles in front of you, and you may follow along there. For those of you who maybe have been walking through or with us in this series um, or have not been able to do that, we are going through the series Reset through uh, Hope in Anxiety, Depression, and Busyness. The first several in this series, we looked specifically at depression and anxiety and the hope that we have. And so if you missed those, we encourage you to go to our Apple podcast. Uh, you can just go there and search Hebrew and Baptist Church and listen to those. Or you can go to our website and you can listen to those specifically. Last week, we kind of turned a corner a little bit. We didn't look specific, we're not looking specifically at these things. We're actually looking at attitudes of the heart that actually would keep us from anxiety and depression. Things that the Bible teaches, things that we should grow in our lives as Christians that we should, that can guard our hearts. Last week we talked about abiding in God and what does that look like and how it might keep us from being anxious or depressed. Today we're going to look at contentment. That contentment, I believe, is the security measure of our hearts from anxiety. If we're content, it will keep us from a lot of fears. And so today, as we look at the scriptures, we want to see how we can become content in all things. So let's read together in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4 and then down to verse 20. I rejoice to the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. And any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you, Philippians, know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, 
but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have in abundance, I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. God, may your words produce fruit of contentment in our hearts. May your word, that we abide in it, that we obey it, that it changes us. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, There's a story of a pilot who had a regular flight over the East Coast. And every time he would pass over the Appalachian Mountains, he would make sure to lean up or to turn a bit and to see a specific spot near a river. This happened several different trips. And finally, his co-pilot asked him, why do you always make note of this place? And he said, well, that's where I grew up. And I remember my early days sitting on that log by the river uh, fishing and I would look up at every plane that would pass by and say, boy, I wish I was on that plane. But the funny thing is now, now that I'm in the plane, I wish I was on that log fishing. See, it seems no matter what we think that we might be content or satisfied there is always something else that, we, that turns up, something else that we feel will satisfy us, something else will fill that void, something else that we'll find rest in. It could be the latest device. We get the device that makes our lives easy, more comfort-driven, everything is good until the next year when the next device comes out and it has a feature that we really want. Or maybe it's a relationship We think, oh, we have finally found the person that fills and checks all the boxes and makes everything right. But then we find out something. They're sinners just like we are. And that they're not perfect just like we aren't. And sometimes, unfortunately, people say, well, if I just find that next relationship, this one's not it. It's the next relationship that's going to satisfy us. And let's be honest. The reality is, is that money is probably the place that this comes up the most, right? If we don't have enough or we want to have more, uh, money is a situation that we know everybody has anxiety over and fears over. We know that it is in this, that we know that we want to have more, faster, greater. And the thing is, it doesn't matter our socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves we're always comparing to the people who are right around us. If we just have this, if we just have that, if we just have this other thing, we will be satisfied. As a matter of fact, we know in marital counseling and divorce that most of the the problems or issues that come in marriages can circle around money. 
We know that anxiety within the family to have more, to, to make sure what we have what we need uh, can create anxiety and suffering and it can hurt marriages. Uh, we know this, that, that one or both people in the marriage will say, well, if we just have a little bit more money to cover this, then everything's going to be all right. We might even think that money is the answer to other issues that are going on in the family. And so maybe one of the, the two will say, I'm going to work more hours or I'm going to take on an extra job. And the reality is that overwork then plays what? Into even more anxiety and more problems, right? Because what happens is that person now who is getting more money, we think, okay, well, if I add a little bit more hours, then we can afford that vacation that will make everybody happy. Or if I do a little bit more, then I can get that car that will make everything easier. Or the more I work, what happens? The more I'm away from my family. The more I'm away from these relationships. And we know that relationships apart can help and cause dryness. And we understand that it's in this overworking, overbusy, anxiety-driven uh, uh, treadmill that we're on we still never find contentment. How do we do it? How can we find contentment? Well, C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The reality is most of the time is that we are anxious because we are trying to find satisfaction in things that ultimately can't. Things that are of this world, things that are temporary, things that will not bring satisfaction, things that are not of God, things that are the gifts and not the giver himself. It is in this that we understand that contentment can only be found through satisfaction in Jesus Christ. It is in our, in our faith in him, satisfaction in him, that we find true contentment. This is what Paul's telling us here. Now, of all the people of the Bible, he probably is the last on the list that we would think would say, I'm content in all things, right? He's writing this letter from jail, and yet he is writing to the Philippian church, I'm content in all things. In this we see that in Paul, he is saying that in all of my life, I have found a way to be content. We know Paul's life, I won't go through this, but maybe you don't know about him. He's been shipwrecked, he's been stoned to death, he's, uh, he's been put in jail, he's, he's almost died, he's been hungry. All these different things, and yet here he is proclaiming, I know the secret. Paul is saying to us, he's saying to you, he's saying to me that we as Christians can grow and be content. Listen to these four verbs he uses in verse 11 and 12. He says, I have learned. I know. I know. I have learned the secret. Paul was receiving a financial gift from Philippi, the church at Philippi. And he was grateful for it. At first glance, you might say, well, he's not very grateful. Uh, he's basically saying, I'm content. You, you know, you're, I'm fine here. You, thanks for your gift, but I'm content. But actually what he's using is this opportunity to tell you and to tell me and to tell them 
that it wasn't the matter of the gift, it was the matter of God providing through them that he's already content whether it came or not. That contentment is the insider knowledge, the secret that is given to the Christian. I love that phrase. I've learned the secret. We all want insider knowledge. We all want the backstage understanding. We want to know what's going on. We want the secret of the game before we start, right? We feel more comfortable. Well, Paul's saying, you as a believer, you have the secret. You have the inside track to contentment. Because your faith is in Jesus, that your life has been saved, sanctified, and the future is in heaven. Instead of anxieties and depressions from things that we desire, if we desire Christ in him, we will be content. Well, this is what we learned together today. Four truths about contentment that we have as Christians. What contentment looks like and how it grows in us that Paul tells us. So number one is this. Contentment is satisfaction in abundance or need. Contentment is satisfaction in abundance or need. Verse 11 says, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Now, Paul is teaching us here that contentment is not based on our circumstance. Paul reduces things to the bare essentials in talking about just food on the table. How, are, how is he nourished? He uses the comparison in the Greek, uh, the original Greek for well-fed that the CSB translates there, well-fed, it means eating one's fill, basically to the full. Paul is basically saying here, I can be stuffed or I can be starved. I have found to be content. Paul is teaching us that contentment can be found in both areas. We know that if we have a little, we need to be content or if we have a lot, we need to be content. Now, I'm a little embarrassed because it takes very little for me to be unsettled in my contentment. A car that needs repairs, bad traffic, a computer that boots up too slowly, even a tough steak. How about you? What are the things that so quickly spin you out of discontentment? But God calls us that we can be content in all things, no matter their circumstance. First Timothy 6, 6 through 8, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. See, the secret of Christian contentment not only allows us or establishes us, enables us to be thankful to receive the small gifts from our Father's hand with gratitude. But what might even be harder for us is to be content in a time of abundance. We might not think of it that way. But contentment and abundance help, makes us look to the gifts of satisfaction instead of the giver who satisfies fully. The challenge for us to be content and what, whether we have a little or whether we have a lot, 
Actually, John Calvin points out that it's an even greater challenge to be content when we have a lot. He says, he who knows how to use abundance soberly and temperately with thanksgiving, prepared to part with everything whenever it may please the Lord, giving also a share to his brother according to his ability, and is also not puffed up. That man has learned to excel and to abound. This is an excellent and rare virtue and much greater than the endurance of poverty. You see, we must be able to know that contentment is not deterred or determined on our circumstance, but on being satisfied with what the good God of heaven gives us at all times. The work of God in us helps us to be content in all circumstances. And number two, contentment is Christ's sufficiency, not self-sufficiency. Verse 13 is kind of the centerpiece of Paul's argument. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, it's interesting. The word that Paul uses for contentment in its original Greek language was also used by the Stoic philosophers. Contentment means self-sufficient, meaning that I can find sufficiency or my desires within myself. The Stoic philosophers thought that they could assent to great logical knowledge, that these physical things were below us and that if we could raise our minds that we could overcome all of these measly physical things. But here's the problem with that. We know those physical things sometimes controls our hearts. So Paul uses their word, self-sufficient, and turns it upside down. He says the secret of contentment is not self-sufficiency, but what? I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. It's not a strength from within me. It's a strength that comes from Jesus outside of me. It is that he has died on the cross for my sins. It is him who has adopted me, who was once a rebel, into his family. And now I receive all the blessings and inheritance of heaven. It is this Jesus who I find sufficiency to be content in all things. This bumper sticker verse has led many people to take this out of context. In him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. An athlete can write it on their shoe, hoping that, that this promise of this verse will make them faster than Usain Bolt. This hope or think that if I can think to it or, uh, or, or rise to it, that maybe it will happen in God's grace. But this is not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that the verse, uh, the, the secret of being content is that Christ died for you and is giving you the riches of heaven that satisfies. He's not saying that you can become a super achiever and do anything that you want. As a matter of fact, the secret of contentment is not in, in the event, but in the afterwards. Or to use our athlete example, contentment is most in after the race, not before and during it, right? The, the knowing content is understanding that if I'm running the race and I lose, that I'm content. 
that I've done everything that I can, that I've done my hardest, that God did exactly what through me he was going to do. And I may be a loser by the world standard that will never, ever define me because it is in Christ that I am defined. I am content because even if I finish last, I know I am his and I've done everything that I can. Or what about the opposite? Or on the other hand, right? The other, you win and you think in your mind you were Usain Bolt and you ran faster than everybody else, even though maybe it was just the case of who you were running against. You have this idea that you are better than everybody else and your head gets big and, and you flaunt it and you want to, to bestow it and show everybody that you, that you won. Well, no, 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 that's not what being content is, right? Being content is knowing that, that we are all sinners saved by grace, that there is none more special than the other, that it is only Christ and God who gave you the ability to do that, to know that you bring glory to him. It is in that contentment, understanding that that win will not define me. It is that we are his that defines me. Paul is reminding us that contentment only comes from connecting to Christ's power. Nothing that you will receive that you have already received in Christ Jesus will satisfy you. He has given you the riches of heaven. Paul is saying that the real secret of contentment is portrayed when we continually turn to the gospel of Jesus and find contentment in him. The secret laid out by Jeremiah in chapter 17 when he says, the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by the water. It sends its root out towards the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. How can that tree, how can that plant not be anxious when the heat rises, how can that plant or that tree not be concerned or fearful uh, as the climate or, or the problems arise? Because it's connected to the stream of life. That through it and in God, we have all that we need. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you are this stream irrigated tree just as Paul was. See, when you trust Jesus as Savior, you become the insider. You become knowing the key to all things, that it is Christ and him crucified, that you are his. And as you understand this and you become his through faith alone, it is in this you understand the secret of contentment. And every time we're anxious and every time we're concerned, we run back to the cross. We run back to who we are. We run back to Jesus and we find that we are fully satisfied in him. It is a contentment in Christ's sufficiency, not in self-sufficiency. Thirdly, we learn that contentment allows you to serve, not to be stressed. Serve, not to be stressed. Verse 14, still you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, 
No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing in your account. But I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Now, Paul shares here that one of the aspects of contentment that arises in our life is that as we become content, we become more likely, not less likely, to serve and be generous with others. Paul shares that it was the contentment of Christ that allowed the church at Philippi to share in his needs. Now, what Paul finds so refreshing here is that his friends at Philippi, though they might have money worries, still their hearts were open to help others and to open their wallets. The reality is here, Paul looks specifically at money and how even the poor among them, the Philippian church, was content in what God had given so that they might be generous. Isn't it the opposite, opposite of what happens when we're anxious and we're fearful and we think that money controls all things, that we become close-fisted, less likely to help, like, let, less likely to serve? But generosity is the result of contentment. Christians today don't like it when the church talks about money. But Paul's talking about money here. There's just no way that we can understand and explain this text if we took money out of it. Jesus talked about money extensively. Jesus is Savior and Lord. When we take his salvation, we get his forgiveness of sin, but we're also saying, Jesus, we're giving you our life in return. We're, we're turning away from our sin and self and turning to you. Jesus becomes Lord over all things of our lives. He wants to even become master of our MasterCards. So if you do not live in contentment and are not good, if you do not live content and are good stewards of what God has given you, you are never be generous the way that God wants you to be. Paul is saying here that as you, look, I am excited to seek the profit that is increasing in your account. The reality is Paul is saying, I see that your great faith in God to provide for you has freed you to be content to help me and others out. Contentment allows us to see the surpassing riches of grace and bestow it on others. God is heavily invested through us in the life, death of Christ and the powerful presence of his spirit. He has paid the greatest price for us by sacrificing his son when we were enemies he paid so much, not just to acquire us as property, but to adopt us as sons and daughters. God loves first and gives first, and he lavishes this wonderful love and grace on us. And in the same way, we want to see others, show others the same grace and love to the gifts that we can give through our generosity. Just a taste. And Paul reminds us that God provides that we can be content to serve others. This is very similar to what he 
says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where he says, Now the one who provides the seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of the deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now our temptation in reading this verse is to hear in it the false gospel of the gospel prosperity preaching that is over flooding our airways and TV channels. That is saying that if we produce these seeds of faith, that God will multiply it in some way that we might be richly banking on this. This is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, God, who is providing, provides for you that you might be providing for others so that not that you get so much more, but that he gets the glory. You see that it is so that he is providing for you to provide for others. And when Paul says that he is thankful for the, for, for the increase in your account, he's not saying that God is somehow making, um, making you win the lottery to, to do this. Instead, what he's saying is that you have increased your faith so that God can do more things to bless others. It is in the surpassing grace of God that pries open their hearts and their fists so that they can gladly help others. And in the same way, contentment will do that to us. Paul promises that he will, God will meet our needs. And so maybe you're not content in the amount of time you have. Maybe you're not being content in the money you have. Maybe you're not content in the gifts that God has given you. And so instead of using those things to bless others, you're fearfully holding on to them. Your anxiety of keeping them, your time, your money, your gifts to yourself is not allowing you to bless others that God might get the glory. Paul is telling us that contentment allows us to not be stressed but that we can serve. What is keeping you from contentment in your money that you might be able to serve others through it? What is keeping you from contentment in your time that you're not using it to show the grace of God to others? Friends, it is contentment that allows us to bring help and service and glory to God. Fourth and finally, contentment is knowing that God supplies all our needs. Well, verse 19, we've read a little bit, but we need to hear it again and again and again and again. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What is, what is he breaking down and saying here? And my God will supply what? What you need. 
Not only will he supply your need, but he'll do it according to this abundant riches in Christ Jesus that through Christ, in the foundation of it all, we know that we are saved by grace. We receive the glorious gifts of heaven. And it is in this that what? We now bring glory to God forever and ever. It is in this that we understand that, yes, he supplies our needs, but the satisfaction comes from knowing God himself. And when we become discontent, it is because we have found satisfaction in things other than him. That has become the greatest thing. The message of this is that we must be satisfied fully in God through Christ Jesus. Let us just see this example from the Ten Commandments. It is really the message of the Ten Commandments. What is the first commandment? Do not have any other God before me. What is the last commandment? Do not covet. You see, the reality is, is that if we trust and are satisfied in God, there will be no reason for us to covet anything because our satisfaction is in him. You see, the last commandment, do not covet, is an inner grasping. Coveting is not stealing. Coveting is not committing adultery or killing. Coveting is the inner grasping that's saying this, I have to have these things or I'm empty. So thou shalt not covet means that thou shalt love God enough to be content with all things. That is what the commandment is. The first and the last are bookends that help summarize the whole. Tim Keller says, the first commandment was love God with all your heart. Put nothing before him. Be totally absorbed in him. The tenth commandment is the result. The first of, uh, excuse me, the first commandment is to love God. The tenth commandment is to love God enough. Love God enough so that you'll be content in all circumstances. Then all the rest of the commandments will fall into place. You see, the reality is, is if we think contentment comes from any of these things, money, relationship, jobs, possessions, we are trying to satisfy our soul, our appetite in things that will not last. It's sort of like that we're trying to satisfy ourselves on the icing and not the cake. Imagine us trying a full diet of icing. I mean, how much long will that last? It tastes good at first, and yes, it's sweet, and yes, it's good, but it's, it's definitely not feeling. And at some point, we just stop, but reality is it doesn't really fill us and nourish us and keep us strong. The things of this world may stimulate the palate of the soul, but they're not food. They're not the ultimate thing. They're not the most satisfying thing. In Hebrews chapter 13, we understand this when they remind us about money. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Friends, what is the, the true key to contentment? is understanding this, that my God will supply all of my needs. 
or that in this, that God is my helper. God is going to take care of me. This is where true contentment comes from, that we understand that the provisional care of God will care for our needs, that we will be able to be content in every situation, in every circumstance, in all giving and all taking, in all abundance and all needing. We know God cares for us and will take care of our needs. So when you begin to realize that every day you receive much more blessing than you could ever deserve, you are able to be content in every situation that you would have never chosen. When you are able to see that even in the darkest moments, there are things for which to be thankful, that you are able to experience contentment mixing with pain. When purposes that are larger than your own momentary happiness are what capture your heart and structure your activity, you are able to be content even when things aren't going your way. The reality is we must be satisfied in God. He is our help. He is our provider. He is who we turn to. So today, the question comes to us, do we, have we trusted Christ Do we know what true satisfaction is? Do we know that what forgiveness looks like? Do we understand that we have become a child of God? Have you trusted Jesus with your life? And are you satisfied in him? Turn to Christ today. Do not leave here. Do not wander the rest of your life. But find that Jesus died for you. And that in him there is life everlasting. Today, Christian Are you growing in your contentment? Are you content in a God who satisfies your needs? Are you trusting in him? Are there things that you are trying to satisfy your life with that is not God himself? God does not want for you a life of anxiety. God wants you to be satisfied in him. Find contentment that is in Christ and keep running back to it to be satisfied. Let us pray. God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for in Christ who you are and how we can be content in all things. God, we are, we love you. Help us in gratitude understand how much you do for us. That we might be content that no matter what this world or circumstance comes, we are satisfied and not shaken. And God, I pray today that if there's someone here that does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they would see the grace abounds in you. That forgiveness comes through you. That life is in you. And that you love them. We pray that they would cry out in repentance and faith. And that they would see the satisfaction that comes through you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow Him. Most importantly, we hope that you've been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. 
but he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with Him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow Him. (music) 